This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download. I'm Tom Duncan. And normally, I would tell you this is the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is, but really the point of this show has always been to get more people interested in this format of fantasy football. We do believe it is the best form there is. And tonight we hosted, I'm sorry this is so late, Uh, I've been working on this for probably almost two weeks at this point, but we have an interview with one of our team members and pretty much the person I would most want to sell you on the idea of picking up Dynasty League football. His enthusiasm for taking up the format at the beginning of last season is just exciting for me as a league owner and as a show host that does a podcast specifically on our league. And I really couldn't think of anybody better to help sell the concept of what we do as a show. Simply put, Ed Martinez is a great member of our league. I'm excited for what happens with his team. I'm glad that uh, this has been a comfort for him during the pandemic and given him something to do. And I literally just started hitting the record button because we were having such a great conversation that I picked up right in the middle of it. So uh, with me tonight is obviously my co-host, Ethan Hamilton, but we're going to pick up right in the middle of the conversation. So let's go to that conversation. Let me see what's going on with Dynasty or Dynasty rankings or something because it just becomes addicting. That's how it happened with me too. It's just yeah, really look, quick. Now, now I feel like I'm always like I'm always like listening to like your I'm listening to your guys' podcast all the time. I'm listening to like other podcasts, trying to do research. Like I spend a lot of my time like downtime doing that. Yep. And it's yep. been like honestly, this has been great, like during this pandemic to like, you know, have a good like good hobby. something to keep my mind and so like you listen to your guys podcast i'm gonna be honest with you it's been like one of the things that i've done the most during like like, yeah rebecca my fiance like listens to you guys all the time because like i'll have you guys like on speaker like in the background she's like you're listening to them again (laughs) back and listen to like your guys like after the season after you when you stopped recording i actually went back because i started listening when i joined the league and then I was like, oh, shit, like, they have all these episodes from the beginning. So, like, it was really interesting to, like, listen to all the previous episodes of, like, how you guys, like, analyze the teams and like, obviously now where they're at and where you hit, where you missed. And it's so quick, too. Like, right. your turnaround of a team is just so quick. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I said it at the beginning of the summer. I thought Dana had no chance in hell. And then he smoked everybody in the playoffs. It's just that's what makes I, it so fun, too. It just takes, like, one key move. By the way, my best call of the year was saying yep. that he had a chance. Yep. I hate myself for doing <laughs> it, but coming out of that 60, I, I swear, he's like our Tom Brady. Yep. Even, like, the draft rankings of where you guys had players and, I don't know, it's just interesting where everything ends up. And just, like, I imagine for you guys going back and listening to, like, what your thoughts were at that time, you're like, sometimes you're going to be like, oh, hell yeah, I knew what I was talking about. Like, what what was I saying? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's For me, I never go back and listen to it because my thoughts will have evolved in the same way. Mm. All of it's educated guessing for me. Like, I could put as much information into this as possible, but some of it's just pure luck. Like, 
drafting Justin Jefferson in the second round was not something I prepared for, but all of a sudden he's a stud. Well, now you have to go off a different operating procedure. I mean, nobody expected him to be that, let alone the fact that all of you let Ayuk draft in the middle of the third round. I mean, that's not something you would necessarily prepare for, but it's something that you capitalize on by saying, okay, I had a bunch of these first round wide receivers. Let's just take a bunch of them and see which ones of a pop. And then it's trying to apply it. I tried to make the league settings as close to running an or an actual NFL team, but through fantasy as I could. So trying to fill out the rosters in a complete way, getting a seven round draft where, you know, you're trying to select out the team. And now we've kind of put in this offseason procedure to try and help with a little bit of that. The free agency market is a little bit different than normal NFL procedure, something I know you've complained about at least twice already in the past two weeks. But. I have a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas. <laughs> Well, that's Sweet. why we're going to be trying to do a set, or a set up of a competition committee. But, okay. uh, Ethan, you're not aware, and we're, I'm going to um, do this out loud, but uh, I have a uh, trade offer on the table. Nice. Off-season fun. Yes. Okay. What so, is it? Are you want to save it for online? Oh, no, no. We're going to okay. think out loud here. But, Eddie Boy, you want to present the trade offer. Yes. <laughs> and you're thinking, maybe. So I offered Tom, I'm trying to improve, well, I'm trying to improve every single area of my team, um, but specifically the receivers based on where I'm envisioning this draft going up. So I'm already thinking ahead of where my draft is going to go, where it's going to fall for me, and then where I could take it from there. So I was thinking, I proposed a trade to Tom of Brandon Ayuk. I got the second round pick, an extra second round pick from you, Ethan, in that in our trade. Mm-hmm. So I'm going into this draft with two second round picks. So I offered him two second round picks for Brandon Ayuk. Oh, wow. That could be fun. Yeah, that could be fun. Especially so, with what you did, especially with what you did with your, you had two second round picks this last year, right, Tom? That's correct. Yeah, have especially three. with what you did. Yeah, that'd be fun. I would have four picks inside the, I guess, let's see here. I think I'm the seventh overall pick. So that would be four picks within seven to 20 or 19, I guess. What is your thought process, Tom? So it's a multifaceted aspect. And I tried to think about it. So you and I have talked about putting a valuation sheet together. And I really started to put together some of the math because I think some of this forced me to do it. What is a draft pick actually worth? Now, my assessed value based on the average, I, I went back and re-averaged all the first round picks from our drafts for the last five years. Basically, I came up with a rough model that, in, again, it's an average as opposed to anything else. But you can anticipate, and each point is worth 100 points in the season. So if I say one point, I mean 100 points for that season. So I think 1.6 points for the average first round pick. So that'd be about 160 points for one season. Okay. So that would then equate over, I think, the average uh, first round pick, because you have to factor in wide receivers versus running backs, tight ends versus running backs, and then quarterbacks who last somewhere, you know, in the 16 year range as opposed to the maybe like eight year range for some of this. So they are going to last a little bit longer. Their point value is going to be a little bit higher. I came up with about 1.6 there, 1.4 for each second round pick. 
but then you have to extrapolate it over 12 years. And basically, it's a pretty even deal over the life of the deal because Auk, for his age, you can probably anticipate he'll be around for about 10 years yet, until about age 32. And then if you anticipate the ups and downs without an injury in there, the point values come out just about the same. The one factor that I'd throw in, because of the league rule procedure that the draft picks have to even out the rosters, I would have to throw in my sixth and seventh round picks at the end right. to even out the, the draft status. So while I may have them on the front end, I do lose the back end um, draft picks. Although, again, knowing me, I usually use my sixth and seventh round picks on a defense and a kicker. And I usually don't carry a kicker until like that first week when I absolutely have to. So I can carry an extra position waiting to see if somebody's injured or that I can stash somebody as long as I can. Again, a little tip or trick of the trade. I I like the way it's structured from an evenness. So I, I got to hand it to you on that one, that the value is roughly there. The problem I would have is that I'd be trading one of the guys that carried my team for especially the second half of last year to that number one overall seed going into the playoffs. Now, wide receiver is where I'm deepest, but everybody's pretty well stacked at wide receiver for the most part. And it's not that I haven't anticipated trading uh, different wide receivers for different assets. Uh, I've been open about Cortland Sutton being available. Uh, well, frankly, anybody on my team is available, but Sutton, uh, no, Beckham, Cooper. We had serious talks about Mahomes last year. It just was the price was extraordinarily high and the timing was not quite right. In another setting, it might have been the scenario where you could have pried that away. So I, I don't want to diminish that. But if you look at my team and the youth and what he could potentially be, because he was already, for what he was in that offense, Auk was averaging somewhere around 13.3 points per game in games that he was playing last year. Now, that doesn't even go to the uptick in point value that he got in the second half, where he was probably closer to about a 17-point-per-game player over the last, like, I want to say seven games that he actually played in, because he had some injuries, he had some COVID status that was also there, so he and Jefferson were actually pretty close as far as overall value. And I, I'm trying to think of how to structure my team. The thing that I need the most is running backs. Second round picks are not usually going to be great for grabbing running backs. Because right now my team has acres. And then after that, it's question marks. You know, Kareem Hunt carried me for a while last year, but how much value are you going to get out of that? And then Chris Carson, wherever he ends up, who knows? I've still got Rashad Penny, so maybe you have that Seahawks position, but Penny would probably be about the 16th or 17th guy on my roster. He'd be close to the cut line. So it's roster construction and the rest of it. I'd have a hard time justifying, and honestly, I probably should trade a receiver. Auk may not be the right one for what I want, but then it's not the same value either, and I understand that. So I was trying to think of how to restructure a deal in my mind as to what would be fair value as a counter, but not necessarily for Auk, but uh, an additional player. Cortland Sutton would still be there. It was a guy that we had talked about right before he blew out his knee last year. And would that be worth the late second round pick? 
And I think the value would probably wash out because I can't expect two uh, second-round picks for a guy coming off of a knee injury in a bad quarterback situation in Denver. But that's kind of where my head's at. And I'm, that's really as far as I've gotten, at least to this point, putting it together for, I think, the better part of a week. Fair enough. Um, I mean, so the way I have a similar offer, I'm just going to put this out there. I have a similar offer out there right now with Ben Brundage. For Higgins? You already told you? <laughs> no, I guessed. I assumed that was the the place he would yeah, go. So I'm aiming for a young up-and-coming receiver. Ayuk and Higgins are kind of my my two main targets right now. One thing I would add to it, and it was a point that my dad made when I was trying to talk this through with him the other day, is you could use basically the second-round picks or a cluster of them to trade up into the first round or higher up as a matter of trying to get one of those top running backs. But I've already, there's other, I'm trying to make moves over here. (laughs) (laughs) You're making money moves. (laughs) This team, like this team, I I had to make moves and I I need to continue to make moves. Um, I think I've, I've pushed a lot of the right buttons, knock on wood so far, but I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to win a title here. And uh, I kind of I should write this down, but looking back at some of the ep- one episode, Ethan said that my team will not win a championship in five years, probably five years. It's going to take me five years or longer. So, Ethan, that is on the, uh, <laughs> the motivational factor now, because like when I win it, I'm sounds good. <laughs> can't wait to get back on the show. Well, <laughs> to be about- fair, Ethan probably helped you more than anybody. We you know, can no talk about it. And Jonathan Taylor here, so we can let's, talk about it. Let's let's go into your team then. <laughs> let's do it. So position by position, quarterback. We'll just start there. In last year's draft, you went with younger quarterbacks. You took Tua Tagovailoa. You obviously took Justin Herbert. That one ended up being your starting quarterback to end the year. You have Jordan Love sitting on your bench. I don't know if he'll be somebody that you're going to be able to keep, but it looks like he's going to be the backup quarterback for the Packers this year since they let their uh, normal number two go. So quarterback, I would say that you have some promise behind Herbert, though, obviously question marks, but the way he played last year, you have to imagine that he's going to put up numbers again. And the fact that that uh, Chargers offensive line got an addition today, Corey Lindsley, you got to think that the Chargers are going to do everything in their power to make him somewhat successful in a division that's ripe for a lot of offense right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I would have taken, and I don't know if you have this somewhere, but I wish that I would have looked at or taken a screenshot of what the team that I took over would it look like before I started, you know, went to the draft or whatever. And but well, I can I pull mean, that up for you. Yeah, I'd be interested. Um, but yeah, I guess like going through the quarterbacks, I mean, if you looked up and down, I mean, my thing was just to get young. Like it was just to get young. I mean, I'm not going to win it. You know, I'm not, I wasn't in it to win it last year. Like there was no chance I was going to win it. Probably not this year either. Maybe going into the third year, you know, while I can make a good, a good title run. But yeah, in the quarterback situation was that same process. I mean, I I was like, you know, I'm just going to load up on these young quarterbacks and, one of them's going to hit. Right. So the team that you took over had Kirk Cousins, Devontae Parker, Tyler Boyd, Miles Sanders, LaShawn McCoy, Jack Doyle, Brashad Perriman, 
Jameis Crowder or Jamison Crowder, Larry Fitzgerald, Jordan Howard, Nick Foles, Tevin Coleman, Cameron Brait, Taylor Gabriel, Justice Hill, MVS, Matthew Stafford, Paul Richardson Jr., Trey Burton, Deshaun Jackson, Ben Roethlisberger, Greg Zerline, the San Francisco D, Chicago D, and the Minnesota D. Scrub, 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 scrub. <laughs> to be fair, uh, Parker, Boyd are, you know, I, I am teetering somewhere between, I would say they're two and a half. I don't know if they're capable of being wide receiver twos, but they're probably not low enough to be wide receiver threes. They're serviceable guys. Miles Sanders, you obviously turned into something, but the rest of it. Gone. Yeah. Pretty well jettisoned in some variety or another. Yeah, and I, I get, you know, and that, I think that's one thing that's made this a, a lot of fun. I think taking over a team that can only can only go up has been fun. I would rather have, I, I honestly looking back at it, like if you guys would have offered me a, a good team or start with a team that's just, you know, complete trash, I'd go with the team that I need to rebuild because that's just been more fun to build it from from scratch. I think it's a matter of pride right. that's built in. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you really, you're really you really putting your mark on your team. So, E, what do you think about the quarterback situation he's currently got? I mean, that's what I said earlier in the summer for his team to do. Like, just get rid of everybody and just try to get as young as possible. Eventually, somebody will hit. Justin Herbert was a hell of a pickup. One you got to wonder about is Jalen Hurts. You know, ownership is putting everything they can behind him. Like, what's their uh, owner's name? Lowry, right? He said that um, Hurts was their guy, that they're going to focus and put everything they can around him to help him be successful. So you got to like all the rhetoric coming from up top. There's really what he said. There's really no place to go but up. So I think just grabbing a whole bunch of people, throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks is really the best strategy. And he ended up with a hell of a quarterback. I think Justin Herbert's going to be really good for a long time. I think Herbert might be a slightly lesser version of Mahomes, that he has a running ability, but he looks to throw first. And he's athletic enough to escape and make a lot of plays. His arm strength is clearly there. It's can he stay healthy because he kind of has a reckless abandon right now. And I would like to encourage him to, you know, stay healthy, avoid hits, that sort of thing. Cause I think he's an exciting player. The, I, I apologize for missing Jalen hurts because I think there are a lot of uh, fantasy professionals. Let's say the people that actually get paid for their opinions on this stuff, unlike myself who just you know pulls it out of my ass, but who seem to think that hurts with his running ability is a top 10 value quarterback. So if you're starting the year with those two, I would say that you're at least above average, if not probably in the top five of the league in quarterback position, at least going into next year, I would say that I'd probably maybe not on a starting value, but it's close for me that if you have those two or you have a choice of Mahomes and no backup, I might be more comfortable with your position than my own. You know, Jalen Hurts is interesting, though, because, I mean, I like that he's on my team, but I honestly, I don't think it's a given that he's going to be the starter guy. There's a good chance that they bring in a veteran quarterback or they, they even draft someone. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is not the starting quarterback, um, which kind of makes me think, you know, I'm at the position where I have Justin Herbert. Do I take a risk and put Jalen Hurts out there as trade bait? It's For a me, good question, but... For, 
for me, I kind of think that's a no brainer. Like I have no problem going into it with one guy thinking that he's, if he's your guy and I'll even use Carson Wentz as an example, like he was really, really good for me until he wasn't, but for quarterback, there's so many of them that you can like plug and play and be decently effective. Ryan Tannehill, for example, you know, and then I ended up getting Joe Burrow in like the third round and I ended up training him into Kyler. So, I mean, if there's somebody out there that really wants Jalen Hurts or you think that you can add it on just to spice up a quarterback or a, a trade offer, knowing that you have Justin Herbert there, for me, I feel like it's a no brainer. But Tom, I think you're you're feeling a little different about it. It's tough because I think there are a lot of question marks. It's not just starting for me. It's the passing ability. I think he can go places on his legs, and that's what he did at the end of last season. The division is also weak defensively, other than Washington's front four. But can he throw the ball enough to not have every team stack the box? That To me, that's the question. And right now, their biggest issue so they're going to have Goddard they're clearly looking to deal Ertz and they have Jalen Rager who I we don't know anything about right now he's also kind of an injury question going back to in college which was always my knock going into the season on him I know Ethan was high on him but I, I always had a question about his availability and then he was injured for pretty much what two-thirds of the season last year so it hurts his ability to run is going to keep him viable but right now, I only see him as a backup quarterback. Now, in a redraft league, that's not a big deal because you maybe will take him in the 10th, 11th round as a flyer, your backup quarterback. You waited a little bit of uh, time. I usually personally like to draft two quarterbacks in a redraft because then I can kind of play the position, especially if I don't get one of those top tier guys. But it just depends on where you end up selecting. I think if somebody approached me about giving up hurts, I'd be better than if I was trying to actively shop him because I don't think you're going to get the value in actively shopping. I mean, he did have, he did throw for 300 yards two of his last three games as well. So, I mean, I think he has the ability to do it. I understand what you're saying. If it was up to me, if I was to grade a passer between like Jalen hurts and Lamar Jackson, I'm going Jalen hurts every single day of the week. So, I mean, I don't really think, I understand, you know, he's not one of those guys where it's like he's going to sit back there in the pocket, but I feel like he can have his days. Oh, sure. I mean, the running is going to open up opportunities for him. It's whether he can seize on those. Because I compare Jalen Hurts to Lamar to Cam. It's the run first quarterback. You know, they're they're really good at the run, so the box is going to be loaded. It's can you beat them when they do that? That's the question that I still need answered. And yet he did a little bit of it last year, but usually in the second year, that's where it becomes a little bit tougher. I know they're going to structure the offense around him now, and maybe that'll help loosen him up. But I don't see him having the same breakout as Lamar. But can he be a viable backup option? Absolutely. But then what is the value of that? Like, that's the part that I'm going to have a hard time putting my finger on. And if I don't know somebody's value, I'm really reticent to try and move on from them because of the possibility that I may completely be off. Right. Yeah. I think maybe be my best interest to kind of build up their value and just hold on to them and see what they become. You know, two is the same way. I'm actually, honestly, I am, I'm bigger right now. I'm bigger on Jalen Hurts than Tua. I think Tua is, Jalen's got a lot more 
upside to him than Tua, where I might be leaning more towards seeing what I can get right now for Tua. You're going to be paying on the low end. Like, his value would have been higher coming out last year where he was sitting behind guys, but now that there's some tape, I think you're going to be paying lower. I would probably sit on Tua because you're probably going to not get nearly the amount of return you'd have if, I mean, it's possible that he could go down even further, but I just don't see people willing to part with anything actually valuable in order to have him, if that makes sense. Yeah. At, at that point, it's more of a hold than it is anything, and see if he turns out. Right. Again, he's got a lot of question marks because I don't know whether Miami's sold on him. And I don't know who their starter's going to be. There's going to be a lot in the quarterback market that's going to move on. But let's jump over to running back then. That's the next position we have up. You swung a trade that uh, <laughs> uh, I, I will say in hindsight might be a, a steal. And uh, we may be looking at this one a little bit differently. At the time, it didn't seem quite so bad or lopsided. But Jonathan Taylor, with the way he finished the season, and certainly I was completely wrong. I will admit Ethan was much higher on him in the middle of the year and going forward than I was, which thankfully it doesn't hurt me nearly as much as it will him in going forward. But uh, that's going to be the guy that's going to be leading your team for the next few years. And frankly, with the way he produced down the stretch, he's a guy that could finish in the top five. I think he could lead the league in rushing next year. You got Lynn Bowden Jr., which was your starter in the final game, but obviously is not going to be a long-term guy. James Robinson, who was the, uh, let's say, fantasy MVP for a lot of teams last season, although had a lot of injuries down the stretch. You don't know exactly what Jacksonville is going to be doing at that position in the offseason. And then uh, just looking down the list, I don't know if you would call Antonio Gandy-Golden a running back per se, but... That, that, that's pretty much rounding out the, the running back room for your team. How would you say that you feel on your running backs, Jonathan Taylor, and then everything else? Running back is definitely the weakest position where I'm really going to need to stock up through the draft. Probably going to target some players through the draft. Keep getting younger there. You know, obviously the Jonathan Taylor trade helps position me there with like a kind of like a pretty big star there running, leading the running back room for my team. Um, I mean, honestly, though, like, I mean, Ethan, like, with that trade, none of us knew, like, well, John, at that point, none of us knew what Jonathan Taylor was going to become. Like, I was, I took the trade because I honestly, I was, I wasn't as big on Jonathan Taylor as Ethan was, but I was bigger on Jonathan Taylor than Miles Sanders. I had, overall, I, I like Jonathan Taylor's prospects overall. And I know, you know, Ethan was doing it for, you know, to win the title and everything and try to win it all. Um, but, I mean, I don't think – I'm not going to sit here and say, like, oh, I knew Jonathan Taylor was going to become what he did because he did not. Um, Honestly, to end the year, it was either him or David Montgomery that had the strongest finishes at running back. And I said this to Tom. If yep. the trade line was one week later – the trade probably wouldn't have happened because he popped off that weekend. Like as soon as I traded him, he popped off. But I mean, optics, yeah, it doesn't look great. And even so, like, yeah, I'm a little regretful about it, but I still have Miles Sanders. And what I really like about Miles Sanders, and if you look at my running backs as a whole, they're guys that can do everything. They run the ball really effectively. They're quick. 
they're fast, but they can also catch balls out of the backfield as well. And that's the type of running back that I really, really like. The only thing I didn't like about Jonathan Taylor and what I continue not to like about Jonathan Taylor, uh, other than him not being a badger, um, is is just him in the passing game. I, I just don't think he's there yet, but I think he will be. I even said like during the trade after it happened, like I think Jonathan Taylor is really good. I think he's going to be really, really good. And then also, too, just the durability. How long is he going to last because of his running style? When I think of him, I think of the Derrick Henry types. I've said Marion Barber a bunch of times as well, where they're really, really good for a couple of years, and then they start to wear down because that's the type of running back that they are. I just think maybe Miles Sanders will last a little bit longer. But yeah, right now, hell yeah, it looks like Ed knocked this trade out of the freaking park. So I'm hoping Miles Sanders has a pretty good year to make me look a little bit better. But yeah, having Jonathan Taylor leading your running back room, I don't really think there's anybody else that you'd want to have right now with as old as he is and with as much potential as he's got too. like you got yourself a good one. So, yeah, if I were you, I'd, I'd target a running back early pair another young running back with Jonathan Taylor, because I really do think and I still believe this, that running backs are the are the type of position that's going to get you into a championship and win you a championship. Looking back at the draft from last year, too, it's like now really having a good mindset of how this all works. I mean, I would have drafted Cam Akers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, like, the only reason I didn't is because I didn't think it was a good idea to take him where he where I would have taken him at, too. That's the only reason, because I was trying to trade back. I was trying to trade back with everybody, and I should have just stuck with my gut because I stuck with my gut when I took Dalvin Cook at one over Leonard Fournette, when everybody was like, Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette. And I took Dalvin instead. And yeah, that's a, I wish I would have just taken Cam Akers because I would have been in love with Cam Akers and I probably wouldn't have made that trade. Like I really didn't even want Jonathan Taylor so much, that much. So it really kind of made trading him even that much easier. But yeah, absolutely. That's probably my biggest regret is not just taking Cam Akers at two and just trusting myself. So that then I'll pose two questions, two kind of general running back questions. We have a class that had A.J. Dillon, which that decision looms a little bit now that Aaron Jones is re-signed for the Packers. You still expect him to probably be the number two, uh, that Jamal Williams will probably move on for Green Bay, but still a productive offense. You have CEH, you have Jonathan Taylor, you have J.K. Dobbins, you have Cam Akers, uh, you have DeAndre Swift, and... I guess out of that pack, well, you got to put Gibson maybe you can and Robinson throw in, in there. Well, yeah, Gibson. Yeah, I got to throw in him. And who was the other one? James Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Let me save James Robinson for another section, okay? Because I, I treat him a little bit differently. So, and that's not a knock on what he did last year. It's just what he might be. I think is different than the anticipation for the rest of these guys. But out of those guys. If I gave you a pick of any of them, who are you taking right now? I, I guess I'll go. Um, for me, yeah, I'd take Cam Akers. J.K. Dobbins would be somebody that I'd think about at two, but I think that'd be stupid. You should take Jonathan Taylor. Um, so I think it would be Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor. But then anybody that you end up with, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, even A.J. Dillon, because I think his time is, is coming. It was such a good running back class this last draft. The wide receiver class was even better, but still, it wasn't a bad one. Ed, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm the same same with Ethan. Um, I'm going Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, and then a close close three behind them, DeAndre Swift. So you both would take Akers number one? 
I just like what he could do in the, like I said, in the passing game. I like that he's an all-around running back. And he's I love perfect, Cam Akers. He's just a perfect fit for that that scheme, that run, yep. running scheme that they run with McVay. I mean, yeah, I think he's a complete package. I probably would take Cam Akers at one. <laughs> I stop. See, I You're hurting probably, me. <laughs> I would probably take Taylor at one personally. Yeah. I, I just I mean, think that. I like the offensive line for the Colts a little bit better. I think they're going to run the football a little bit more often than the Rams, where the Rams are going to run the ball to set up play action and and, uh, the stuff that they're going to be able to do with Stafford this year. I also think that Akers might have a little bit longer shelf life just because Taylor took more carries at Wisconsin. So that does worry me a little bit for the longer term. But, boy, I, I... and I'm not even sure I'd put Acres at two right now. Wow. So I, I'm kind of surprised. Maybe that's just you me. always hate yourself and your team. Okay, though. you're so much harder. Guy who you're just so much hates. harder on yourself than everybody else is. So that doesn't surprise me, dude. That's how my entire personality. <laughs> Why would I ever be a member of no. a club that would have me as a member? I'm interested to see what CH does this year because I mean he he was you know he was dinged up a little bit he was hurt last year so I'm high on him still I mean I think he he becomes a Pro Bowl running back in the league. Well, and I wonder the Chiefs released both of their tackles now, or I know they at least released Eric Fisher. I don't Mitchell yeah. Schwartz. I don't remember what was going on with him exactly, but uh, they did sign Joe Tooney today, the Patriot center who was probably the second best in free agency, at least from most people's analysis. So I wonder what they're going to be able to get, but the Chiefs don't really focus on running the football a lot right now, at least not by comparison to uh, other Andy Reid teams before. So I'm still not sure what to make of that. If they give him the ball, if they start using him as a receiver like he can be, because that was my biggest thing, is, is I thought he'd be much more involved in the passing game than he was last year especially with how Kareem Hunt came out and was like so involved for Kansas City that first year when uh Al- but Alex Smith was still the starter at that point. I'm just not sure that Kansas City is going to focus on anything other than Kelsey and Hill. Not that they have to, obviously it took him to a Super Bowl. So. I mean, the run game is always going to be important. No matter what you have, no matter who you have, the run game is always going to be important. You were super high on CEH pre-draft and even post-draft. Mm-hmm. You were way higher than Ben and I were. Like, I was super <laughs> surprised when he was at the top of your list. But then he came out week one on that Monday night or Sunday night, whatever it was, and he tore it up. And he looked really good. He looked really quick. And he looked like he was a perfect fit in that offense. I really, really do think that COVID kind of hindered a lot of these rookie running backs. I thought it was going to hit the wide receivers personally more so than the running backs, but I feel like it hit a lot of these rookie running backs. Because even Jonathan Taylor, he had a rough start to his season as well. Mm. So I think a second year in the offense, I really do think that CEH, I'm, I'm with Ed, I think that he could be a Pro Bowl running back for a couple of years. I'm still holding out the hope. Like I think I could potentially buy low on that one if I package something together. Um, one of my mid-level, so like a uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and a second-round pick, I think you could probably get somebody to bite on that. But uh, let's go then to the wide receiver room. Jerry Judy, Gabrielle Davis, I think I pronounced that right. I've heard it pronounced both ways. 
uh, Mike Williams, Henry Ruggs III, Devontae Parker, Tyler Boyd, Devin Duvernay, Brian Edwards, who you were very high on, Quintus Cephas. Oh, Brian Edwards. And again, it depends on how you want to quantify Antonio Gandy-Golden. So Gandy-Golden is strictly a receiver. I think, I don't know if you're like... I don't think they've ever used him, but the way he was in college, I think he went as both. That's the only reason that this is kind of open for me, but I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, receiver group is interesting. I mean, it's like, I need some of those rookies, obviously, to step up. Jerry Judy, I think I'm super high on him. Super high on Jerry Judy. I mean, the guy, his route running is just sick. I mean, if that guy could stop dropping balls like he did his rookie season, I mean, I think he could become top five receiver in the league. I'm going to hold off on saying I busted yet on the Henry Ruggs pick. <laughs> maybe maybe not. Maybe I should just get the Rhodes pick. I still have hope. I, I, I mean, I have to have hope because he's, he was my second pick last year's draft. You know, it's some of these receivers, I feel like some of these receivers coming out, like we were just talking about, with no offseason, it was really surprising what these rookies did. Uh, maybe someone like Ruggs did need an offseason. So giving him an offseason, hopefully this year, maybe it makes, you know, a positive impact on his game. I don't know. We're going to we're gonna find out and see. And then my strategy throughout the year was just to pick up, as you look down this roster, I mean, I'm really high on Gabriel Davis as well. I mean, the Bills just draw. I mean, I think they're released or they're not signing John Brown. So Davis steps up into that number two spot with the Bills. He's an athletic freak. I mean, he's tall. You know, he's got pretty good speed. And Allen, you know, feeds these guys the ball. He knows how to get them the ball, which, I mean, you know, so there's there's potential there. The re- the other receivers from the Raiders, you know, I'm high on Brian Edwards. I was pretty pumped. I think Ethan dropped him for some Son of a bitch. <laughs> so I mean, he's not gonna get he's not gonna get cut. He's gonna be on our roster next year. I mean, I've been reading about him and. Um, you sure you don't want to cut him? Not gonna cut him. <laughs> I'm high I'm high on him and. Um, yeah, and then the other guys like Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd is solid. He's a solid number two receiver. Um, if, depending on what Joe Burrow's health is coming into this year, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are going to be one two there, I think, for a while. Um, A.J. Green's going to be gone. Quintus Cephas, uh, I mean, he, depending on the Lions, Lions signed who? Tyrell Williams. In the free agency so far, I think they signed Tyrell Williams. Kenny Galladay's probably gone. So Cephas might become – he becomes a number two there. He's um, the number one. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, yeah, I guess if you want to Unless say, you count Hawkinson as the, the number one pass catcher, but he's not a receiver per se. I think that he steps up as probably and competes with DeAndre Swift as the number two pass catcher in that offense because Marvin Jones and Galladay are both gone. The yeah, Lions so have already declared yeah. they're not going to have them. Right. So my strategy with my receiver, I mean, with my whole team, really, it was just upside based on athletic athleticism and their potential with, like, Antonio Gandy-Golden. I mean, that dude is – that dude's a freak, too. He just was out all year. He becomes the number two in Washington behind Terry. And then, you know, looking at upside based on where their, you know, their projections could be this year based on – you know, if they're going to be the number one, number two receivers heading into uh, their second year. So that that was kind of my my strategy. I am obviously looking to Devontae Parker. He is on the trade deadline. If anybody is looking to trade, is interested <laughs> in Devontae Parker, he, he is on the trade deadline or the trading block, I'd say. 
So if anybody's out there in our league listening and is interested in Devontae Parker, give this guy a shot. <laughs> Again, that's kind of an open Devontae quarterback. Parker, Devontae Parker for two uh, uh, package. Put him in the other. A nice Miami Dolphin package. Your Don't sleep on that uh, Brian Flores team. I I love Jerry Judy, by the way. I think he's going to be really, really good for a really, really long time. Watching him run routes brings a tear to my eye. Uh, but I, I've always hated Henry Ruggs. I really, really didn't like him pre-draft. I just thought he was really, really fast. And I just think he was too much power for Derek Carr. I just didn't think Derek Carr would be able to bring the most out of him. Maybe if Derek Carr is out and they bring somebody else in, that would bring something a little more. But I don't know. Henry Ruggs, he's he's just kind of one of those speed demon type of guys where the consistency I don't think will be there. You get Jerry Judy, a quarterback, I think his consistency will be there week in and week out. Brian Edwards, he was he happened to be a roster casualty of mine because buys and stuff like that. And I thought he was a quiet enough name that I would be able to last a week without him and I'd be able to pick him up and he was gone. I think he could be really, really good. Uh, he's for sure one that I would wait and see on, at least hold him under my roster for a couple of years. Yeah, especially now that Nelson Algalar, I think, signed with someone. To, I mean, yeah, he's gone. Patriots. Patriots. Yeah. So I, made I like think five signings today. Yeah, I the think Raiders are going in. Raiders are going in with Ryan Edwards and Henry Ruggs so far. Yeah. The one and two next year. Yeah, that makes that, sense. That one, that one bums me out a little bit, but like I said, I, I, I had no choice because I was trying like hell to keep him, but there were other ones that I knew for a fact I wouldn't have been able to get back. Devontae Parker, I'm the same way with you. He was never, he's never been huge for me. He has a couple big weeks and then he lets you down. Tyler Boyd, I agree. I think he could, he could be a very, very consistent wide receiver number two if Joe Burrow can get healthy. Him and T. Higgins, for sure, would be a fun little combination as an offense to to have running. But other than that, I really don't think you're in as awful as a spot as it appears to be with your wide receivers. Mike Williams really is just one. Like Even Tom, like we both talk about just how he just has not lived up to the potential of what he thought we thought he was going to be coming out of school. But I still think uh, with Justin Herbert, I still think he can bring out a decent amount in him. He'll have good weeks, but he'll have some duds as well. But for wide receivers, it's kind of just one of those things you just got to wait and see, and hopefully they they can take off. There, sometimes it takes a couple of years. So, but yeah. I, I I don't think you're in as awful as a spot as as you think you are. And this draft, I mean, this draft has another good receiver group. So I'm hoping to grab a couple of those if I don't give my or trade for a Uke, one of them too. <laughs> I, load up, I load up with my second round receivers or I get I use from Tom. So we'll keep talking, Tom. Oh, I'm I'm definitely open to talking. It's probably the thing I do best. Uh that's being a lawyer's kid. Anyway, uh <laughs> as far as my thoughts on it. So first off, I am not nearly as uh pessimistic about rugs other than his health. He's had injury history before and injury are somewhat of a skill, but I I look at him as a more modern version of Deshaun Jackson. I think the quintessential game you look for is uh, what he had against Kansas City in Kansas City when uh, the Raiders were the only team to truly beat the Chiefs until the Super Bowl last year. And he had like four catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown. He had a really nice game. 
I think he takes the top off, and that's something John Gruden really likes. They're enamored with his speed. You might be able to say he's comparable somewhat to how the Packers use MVS, that he occasionally will have a possession catch here or there, but most of what he's doing is the deep shot, and that's pretty much his entire value as far as that goes. My biggest problem is is you have two uh, pass catchers from the Raiders, you have two pass catchers from the Broncos, and I don't think either offense is really good at committing to down-the-field throws. And I really don't trust either organization uh, at quarterback or at acquiring a competent quarterback. I think John Elway is, what, on his 10th quarterback since Peyton Manning? So that's my only problem. I have no personal problem with Jerry Judy or Noah Fant. I have a personal problem with Drew Locke being my starter after what he showed last year and the or Denver being able to credibly replace him. That's where my issue comes in. And so I think as long as that's going to be hung up, I think it's some of the same issue Devontae Parker's had. Devontae Parker is much, much better when Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing him the ball, except now he's retired. So again, that's a, that's a value issue. Tyler Boyd has at least been consistent for Cincinnati, regardless of who's in the position at quarterback, primarily because he operates out of the slot. But your wide receiver room has a lot of young talent, but it needs another year where, you know, I, I'm surprised. I know Ethan was really high on Judy, but I think the guy that you probably could have guaranteed, especially because I think you drafted what out of the four spot last year, mm-hmm. would have been C.D. Lamb. And I think going into this year, he would have been the guy outside of maybe Justin Jefferson that everybody would be taking for next season. Right. But I mean, recall going into the draft last year. I mean, I think Judy's overall is a better receiver, but I also took Judy over CeeDee Lamb because the way the prior season ended, Drew Locke, you know, there was hopes for him. Like he was he was decently well to end this, the prior season. So you're like, OK, we got Drew Locke. Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I mean, he's he's ready to break out, which obviously didn't happen. So yeah, I mean, you're right. right. You also knew Jerry Judy was going to be up there with the number one too. You you thought you knew C.D. Lamb was probably going to be around the number three wide receiver too. So that probably had a lot to do with it as well. I mean, for me, it's kind of a horse of peace, well, honestly. I'm I'm not trying to fault it. I'm saying if you were going to commit to wide receiver. I think Lamb would have been the play for me at that point, and I think I said that at the time. I personally would have gone running back, but that's just for where I see the value from the fourth pick because I don't think that you would have had another really good shot to draft a running back. I think Ethan was the one in our mock draft that we did with Ben right after the draft last year that went Judy at four for you, if I remember right. It was either him or Ben because I don't remember making that pick. And I distinctly I remember that being a, a thing at the time, and I thought it was questionable. But his reasoning was basically take the wide receiver for the longer-term play, I think especially in your rebuilding yeah. a team. And I think he was so down on your whole roster that he wanted to build up the rest of it before hitting with the running back. Whereas I would have taken value regardless because if you really hit on a running back, and in that four spot, you could have had your pick of – Swift, Dobbins, Akers, etc. Because I took Akers at five. Then you could have potentially flipped that around at the point where you've built up the other positions on your team. So even at a running back, you could have restacked it and then drafted again. Because I look at the running back position and I've kind of changed my tune a little bit that 
you almost want to overprice for the rookie running back as opposed to the established guy. And you know, maybe there's a few exceptions with the elite elite, the top five right now. But even them, from where I see the position at the moment, like if you gave me the opportunity for Saquon versus, I don't know, Travis Etienne and maybe another pick, I think I'd probably take that deal personally. Yeah. Just a, just some food for thought. We'll finish off the positions here before I get to my James Robinson question. But tight end, you kind of got another one of these sweetheart, uh, I feel sorry for you, as Ethan kept putting it during the year, uh, Noah Fant deals. <laughs> Tyler Higby is your other primary tight end on the roster. You had O.J. Howard and Blake Jarwin on IR. But how do you feel about tight end going into next year, especially with how kind of lopsided the position was for the most part? Yeah, I mean, tight ends across the league is just weak, right? Super weak. So for me, I mean, I think having Noah Fant and Cole Komet, because the rest of the guys will be cut, I mean, I'm okay with that <laughs> into the season. Like, I think Cole Komet has a lot of upside, depending if the Bears get Russell Wilson in there, which I think I, I'm, I think that's going to happen. I don't know about you guys. But anyway. Oh, man. As an Allen Robinson owner, please, for the love of God. <laughs> as a Packer fan, yeah, please, Packer for the love fan. of God, no. Right. I do not want Russell Wilson. I, it's bad enough seeing him once a year. But, I mean, regardless, Russell Wilson, whoever it is, it's an improvement over Mitch Trubisky. They're going to improve over Mitch Trubisky. So, I think Cole Komet has an opportunity. I mean, he had a good good finish to his season. So, I think there's there's potential there, upside there with Cole Komet. And then Noah Fant of you know, Drew Locke gets, gets it together or, you know, hopefully the Broncos bring in another like capable veteran quarterback or draft someone, you know, he's obviously got tremendous athleticism. And that's the reason I, you know, I made that trade with, with Ethan because he was actually one of the tight ends I've always been a fan of and kept a close eye on. And Ethan was uh, grateful enough to trade him for a third round pick. Well, who, and who honestly does feel good about, their tight ends like there's probably only three people <laughs> i think Fant can be a good one but you're right you know it, it all comes down to the quarterback you know and then two like oj howard like i thought coming out like i thought he was going to be a can't miss like this guy is going to take over the league and i'm just so surprised of how his career has gone so far it just sucks really but I have to applaud what you've kind of done in this. Even in a bad situation, you've found a way to stack a lot of potential, even if the guys haven't hit quite yet. And Fant is at least serviceable. Like, he was creeping around the top, I guess, seven or eight most of the year. I wouldn't put him in the top five, per se, of guys that we'd necessarily take at the position, but he's talented enough to be at least a, a starter right now as of what Denver has it's the rest of the guys and whether they pan out I don't know I mean it's it's kind of a weird position I look forward to bounce back a little bit this year especially with teams focusing a little bit more on the run they're going to be coming out of heavier sets with a lot more tight ends and I think that's a possibility but who knows all I can say is is that you've done the one thing that you kind of need to do when you are lacking at a position is just stockpile guys and hope you know, one or two of them ends up with something, and then you kind of figure it out from there. I mean, whoever lands Kyle Pitts this year is going to be in a good spot. I am that guy is a freak. Like Kyle Pitts, I feel like he he's almost a guy you should be able to play in fantasy. I think you know as a receiver too. Like I don't know, the guy's almost more of a receiver than a tight end, really. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it depends on which team he ends up on if it's an established quarterback. My only concern is, is that tight ends that have gone inside the top 10 have rarely, if ever, panned out. That That's my only concern. But I think he has the potential to break that trend, especially with the way that tight ends have gone and the way that a team, if they're creative enough, can play him. I think everybody, too, will have a chance at someone like a Kyle Pitts, because I don't think as long as I've been in the league, I've never seen a tight end to go before the first three, four rounds, no oh, yeah. matter how good he is. I took one at the seventh pick one year. Was I in the league, though? Yes, you were. Who was it? I was really trying to get Trey Burton that year, and Derek <laughs> took him ahead of me. So I'm like, shit, I need a tight end. Uh, let's take this George Kittle guy. Oh, you took George Kittle that early? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that was right well, sorry. before One uh, he had his... Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, with Trey Burton going the pick ahead of me, that's technically twice, but all right. I digress. All right, so let's get to the one that I find to be possibly one of the more interesting off-season conversations as far as fantasy, and it's James Robinson. And I think this is twofold. Ethan and I had a lot of discussions, and you've said that you listened to a lot of our episodes. We talked at nauseam almost on a weekly basis about James Robinson and whether to deal him or what his viability would be past this season. I still think there are question marks. I don't know what Jacksonville is going to do. I think the smart play for them is to basically run him into the ground, maybe get a secondary back. And I think part of that was problematic by the fact that Ryquel Armstead, who was supposed to be their guy, was out for the entire season with COVID and had like severe issues with it. They also cut Fournette early on in camp, and that was part of their problem. But I would imagine that, at least for right now, he's the working starter until I see what their draft class is going to be. And you have to imagine they're going to give him every opportunity with how well he played. Past this next season, that's where the question marks start to pop up. So you didn't trade him during the season. The first question would be, did you ever really consider actively shopping him during the year? And then the secondary question would be, do you think that you would capitalize on him now in the short term as opposed to hold on to him for a long-term thing? I guess the whole James Robinson is goes on a like team-by-team basis because where my team currently is, I keep a guy like that because my thing is like, hey, if I – which I'm probably leaning towards drafting high or running back high this year. You know, I move – see what happens with James Robinson, move him to my – to the flex position – and see what he can see what he does. Hey, if he all of a sudden, cause yeah, I'm with you guys. Like, I mean, I still have like my, my doubts with him. Like, I don't know if he's a like, you know, one hit wonder kind of guy. I'm waiting to see what happens with him. But Hey, if he somehow like James Robinson is this great story of the NFL and he becomes a consistent running back, I'll use him as long as I use him up as much as I can until maybe I think I can get some, get some for him. But I mean, I'm holding on to him for now. I don't know. What was your second part, though? What was your question? But what would it be for going forward? Do you think he's a long-term guy for Jacksonville that is worth holding on to like he would be one of those guys that you draft early? It's so hard right now. It's so hard. I mean, that guy, it's like watching games. I mean, I guess one of the only games I watched was the Packer game. And, you know, watching that game, I was like, you know, I think somehow he ended up having like 100 yards, maybe like a touchdown. I can't remember, but it was like, 
uh, he's, he really it doesn't show up like he doesn't pop out at you right mm-hmm. there's like nothing special that's like wow like that guy he's a mainstay in this league that guy's gonna be a top top 10 running back but he produces like that guy produces it's so hard to say i don't know like what the jacksonville Jaguars are gonna do with they draft trevor lawrence or their what the urban meyer system is gonna look like they're gonna bring another running back it's it's really hard to, to say but I'm, I'm keeping him for now i mean I'm, I'm not i mean if someone wants to throw me a trade i don't even know what i would i don't know i don't know how the rest of the league our league kind of views him as like for trade value what would they would be willing to give up for him but i'd be willing to listen i guess i'm not sure he's just he's so, it's so hard to read the james robinson situation is hard granted i i don't think it's once you have him in a dynasty format, like in a redraft, it was really easy. You just ride it out for the season. I don't know what he's going to end up ranking in most people's uh, systems going into this next year on a redraft. I think it's a little harder to anticipate, but the way he produced, it wasn't quite in the same manner, but I, I look at it in a similar trajectory as what Arian Foster was a few years back. Like Foster came on and was like huge and Robinson I think he was top five at the position, if I remember right. So it's not that it's going to be ignored, but it's just hard to see long-term if he's going to hold on to the job, let alone if he's going to hold up just physically or any anything else. Because, again, we're in almost uncharted territory with a guy who's undrafted, not only being the starter, but being pretty much the only guy they were relying on for a significant portion of time and being the guy in the top 10 like that. All right, so draft picks right now, we've kind of already gone through it a little bit. You uh, have pretty much all your own picks for the first seven. You don't have a third rounder, which you already mentioned, but you do have an extra second rounder. Other things, so let's go through your results from last season just quickly. So Jerry Judy at number four, Henry Ruggs third at number three, or excuse me, at number 14, number 24, Kayshawn Vaughn, a current member of Tom Terrific. Number 34 pick, or the 34th pick, Tua Tagovailoa. Number 44, Jay Sternberger. Number 54, Malcolm Brown. And number 64, Mason Crosby. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, Justin Herbert and James Robinson, I picked them up right after the draft ended. I picked them up right like at the on the waiver wire. I didn't even draft those guys. Well, obviously, James Robinson definitely wasn't out of my mind. I almost picked up James Robinson myself just as a flyer, but I didn't have the space available because I was trying to hold on to other guys. Yeah, I mean, Justin Harbert wasn't even part of my draft, really. You know? No, I don't think he was with anybody's. I think everybody saw him as by far the third best quarterback, and most people downgraded him, and now it's completely different a year later. But, Ethan, uh, what did you think of his draft? How would you classify it? The first year in the Dynasty draft is always really, really hard because you still kind of have no idea what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt with my first one. Right. I think I took Sterling Shepard with my first ever fantasy football <laughs> pick, and I felt so good about it, too. I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be a stud. Even OBJ thinks he's going to be really, really good. But, yeah, it's just kind of figuring it out and what you need and kind of where, how the draft board falls. And I think now too, it's going to be a little more predictable because we're going to actually have people show up to the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But honestly, for your first time ever, I thought you did really, really well. You went after young 
potential just with the team that you had too, just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and like, Hey, if it sticks, if it sticks, if not, I'm not going to worry about it too long. I'm going to go to the waiver wire and I'm going to pick up a whole bunch of people. And that's really how you built your squad is just picking up trial and error, figuring it out. And if it works, you stick with it, you roll with it. If not, it's like, eh, forget about it, go on to the next one. So honestly, I really, and we've talked about it all year long. I think we brought up your team and how you've kind of grasped the whole thing all year long. Like, it's kind of really, really impressive, and I am kind of excited to see where you take your terrible team that you started out with, where you take it, because I feel like you're on a really, really good run. For your draft status, I, I have to give it an incomplete. Really, the three members that are still on your team are guys that we already said to have pretty big question marks right now on. Judy had a lot of drops and has a lot of potential, but after last season, you don't know especially with how some of the other receivers hit. And Ruggs couldn't stay healthy for a good majority of the season. You like his talent, but you know where is he going to sit? Tua, we don't even know if he's going to be the starter in Miami or if he'll be on Miami come the start of the season. So I, I think this is a wait-and-see approach. But final verdict, is this a title contender on the rise, declining, rebuilding, or basement-dwelling team? <laughs> Ed, what would you think you would classify your own team? Definitely on the rise. Definitely on the rise. Give me, give me one, one more year of making solid moves, and uh, year three I'll be contending. Damn, that'd be quick. I won in year three, and I, I'm holding it over my head because this was Ben's year three too, and I really thought that he was going to match me. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> terrible injury luck. i guess i'll go uh for me i think you're still steadily in the rebuilding phase i feel like after this draft that could change completely you could be move i could move you into the next tier of on the rise depending on what your draft looks like but right now i still think there are a lot of like unanswered questions but a lot of potential so we just got to see what that potential does so for me rebuilding but i feel like you're you're closer to on the rise than than you for sure were uh, even a couple months ago. I'm going to straddle the difference between the two of you. There are some pieces that obviously I think you can build around. You have some decent mainstays. Fant being a decent above average tight end and a couple of other depth guys on that. Boyd, uh, Devontae Parker, and then you want to build around the other two rookie wide receivers. You've got three draft picks in the top uh, two rounds. So it's not like you're devoid of anything. And Herbert's an above-average quarterback who you have to be excited about going into next season. That's at least a, a winnable team, on depending on the week. So you could surprise some people. I can't put it in title contender, but depending on how you end up in the draft, especially those first three picks. And we already said that you're likely to take another running back. So James Robinson being your potential third back behind a rookie who probably will get a decent opportunity and Jonathan Taylor, I think at least puts your running back class in a position where it can compete, save for injury. Your run or your uh, wide receiver group is, has potential. It's not quite there. So I can't quite put it in an on the rise, but I could very easily after the draft put you in that category. So I'm going to straddle the difference. I'm going to say rebuilding, possible into on the rise by the time we hit the start of the season yeah like ethan said i mean i'm super pumped for this draft because now i actually know what the fuck i'm doing and yeah looking back at the draft at last year's draft i'm like 
Nope, wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought about hosting a full live Zoom draft. That'd be fun. But It'll then we'd fun. have to get everybody to actually show up. The way this league is now, I think everybody's pretty active. If you set it up far ahead of time, enough ahead of time, like people would do it. It's possible. I There are a couple of question marks. I think for the most part, we've gotten pretty active membership. Just a matter of trying to coordinate that. We still have to have our, let's say, league meeting at some point in the offseason here to kind of go over some of the new rules and the offseason stuff. And I still want to put forth that nomin- or that uh, competition committee. So I try and take a little less responsibility out of the commissioner's hands because I've somehow accumulated more power without asking for it. Sounds like uh, you. Seriously, (laughs) I didn't try. There are times when I will do a power play. This was not one of them. No, yeah, no, this league league is fun. I mean, there's a lot of competitive people now in this league, and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Well, thank you for joining us. We appreciated having you. It was fun trying to get a conversation on your team. This went much longer than our little mini-series uh, normally goes on any one team, but we're glad to deep dive with you. For sure. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, look forward to a uh, hopefully like a rookie pre-draft uh, or something like that episode, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Don't be a stranger. Come back. Yeah, man. Thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again soon to continue our off-season coverage. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM. 